Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Egg Today. Coming up on today's program... The Grain Services Union and 436 members of Locals 1 and 2 have another bone to pick with Viterra. The union claims Viterra did not pay the full 4.5% wage increase to employees retroactive to January 1, 2023, as per the agreement workers just ratified last month. General Secretary Steve Torgerson will join us on today's program to talk about it. For many years, farmers and farm organizations have lobbied for a system that would reward producers for the sequestration of carbon in the soil. Dr. Lenore Newman from the University of the Fraser Valley in B.C. believes that time is coming as methods are developed for easily and accurately measuring carbon sequestration. We'll hear from her coming up on today's program. The price of canola continued to decline last week. That was the first topic of discussion on Friday's SaskAgToday.com roundtable with Chief Agricultural Editor Kevin Hirsch. And Sask Canola will be hosting three top-notch extension meetings in northwestern Saskatchewan this upcoming week. Kaylee Kondrachuk is Sask Canola's agronomy extension specialist. She'll tell us about those meetings. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of SaskAg Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to Saskag Today. The Grain Services Union and 436 members of Locals 1 and 2 have another bone to pick with Viterra. The union claims Viterra did not pay the full 4.5% wage increase to employees retroactive to January 1, 2023, as per the agreement workers just ratified last month. On its website, the GSU confirmed the company would make the payments on January 31st. General Secretary Steve Torgerson says they told members to double-check the math once they received their paychecks that day. Some came back saying it didn't add up. When um, we resumed bargaining with the company on January 3rd and 4th, um, late in the day on the 4th, we received a final offer from the company um, that we took to the members for a vote. And within that final offer was language um, initiate, uh, sort of initiating a 4.5% wage increase for all employees in the bargaining units. And this is something that we've been pressing for uh, since we began bargaining, that uh, the economic situation and sort of the rising uh, cost of, of living is causing, you know, this stark reality for our members. And so we were looking for guaranteed wage increase 
um, in, in all the years, but in essence in the first year in particular. And so when the company in this final offer um, provided language uh, saying that there would be a 4.5% uh, increase retroactive to January 1st, 2023, uh, the members, um, you know, when they vote on that, they took that to heart and, and uh, expected that. And now uh, the company has processed these retro payments and the uh, increases to the uh, employees' wages effective January 31st. And uh, a, a, a large number of our members are, are realizing now that they will not be receiving uh, this 4.5% increase that they feel they were promised. Uh, they voted on this final offer with that language saying that this will be paid to all employees and the rates of pay, um, and it was not. Uh, to pretty close to, to, our, to our best guess right now, between 20 and 25% of the members. He says that's when some employees came back to them. That's what it was. Usually when uh, once a collective agreement is you know voted on, one of the next questions is when is the retroactive payments, uh, when, when will they be made? So when the company advised that it would, they'd be taking place on January 31st, uh, we began reaching out to members just to check to make sure that it was. Um, but before we actually started reaching out to members on the 31st, they began uh, calling us and saying that they did not see um, either any of the increase uh, and retro payments or just, uh, you know, some of an increase in just some retro payments, but it wasn't, uh, there's, like I said, a large number of members that did not see uh, this fully realized 4.5% um, effective January 1st or their higher date uh, within that calendar year. Torgerson says Viterra has some explaining to do. Some got nothing um, and some only got 4.5%, but only for a portion of the year. So if they were... Uh, some individuals were received a promotion in the year. They bid on another job and, and were promoted within the bargaining unit. Um, they only got the 4.5% increase on the first part, on the part before the promotion. The, the portion uh, of the time last year that they uh, were in this higher position, um, the company did not uh, provide the 4.5% wage increase on that part of the, um, the year. So it wasn't consistently applied um, for everyone um, last year, in effect for last year. He says they're looking at all available options to enforce this part of the deal. Well, to be honest, this is something that's quite new that, that, I, that I've never experienced. So we, we are, uh, we've sort of, we're looking and getting some legal advice on, on this process because the final agreement hasn't been signed. Um, and we all know that we can sort of come to an agreement on a lot of things, but until the final legal document signed, it may, you know, it may not be sort of fully binding. So, and I'm not saying that's the the path we're going to take, but I think we have to look at all options, uh, up and into including sort of uh, unfair labor practices, filing grievances, and and uh, and having members sort of express their their discontent and frustration with their employer. Turgerson says legal action is also on the table. We, we have to consider all options. Uh, I think when we're dealing with um, an employer that's willing to sort of renege on their own final offer that they put forward, um, you know, we do have to sort of take this serious. And this is, you know, this is real dollars in our members' pockets. So we have to, uh, we can't sort of be coy and, and, and be too gingerly about this. We have to, we have to do what we have to do to ensure that our folks are, um, their collective agreement is enforced and they receive the, the pay increases that they, they voted on. The deal members ratified on January 19th was a four-year deal with, among other things, an overall salary increase 
of 13.25% spread out over the lifespan of the deal. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. Federal Agriculture Minister Lawrence McCauley has announced an investment of up to $89 million for 49 projects across Canada under the Supply Management Processing Investment Fund. Through this funding, dairy, poultry and egg processors are able to purchase and install new automated equipment and technology, allowing them to boost their production capacity and productivity, while also helping them respond to environmental challenges and labour shortages. Project examples include milk pasteurizers, ultra-filtration systems, robotics for packaging systems, and new machines for grading, setting and breaking eggs. Today's announcement was made in Ingleside, Ontario, at Lactalis Canada's cheese plant, which is set to receive up to $3.3 million for new automated cheese processing and packaging equipment. These upgrades will help modernize the production facility, reduce waste, and improve productivity. A food retail expert says the Canadian government should provide more support to smaller domestic grocery chains to spark increased competition in the industry. The comments from an SKU food founder and former Loblaw executive come after Canada's industry minister said he's been reaching out to foreign grocery companies to draw them into the Canadian market. Francois-Philippe Champagne hopes foreign grocers will come to Canada and help strengthen competition in the industry. A representative from the Canadian Federation of Independent Grocers says the code of conduct being developed could also help to level the playing field for small and medium-sized grocery companies. Ukrainian agrarian unions have asked the government to do everything possible to maintain free access to the European market for their food products. The European Commission last week said it would extend the suspension of import duties on Ukrainian exports, originally put in place to support the economy after Russia's invasion two years ago, for another year to June 2025. However, it also proposed measures to limit agricultural imports from Ukraine and offer greater flexibility on rules for fallow land in a bid to quell protests by angry farmers in France and other EU members. The unions say exports of food products in 2023 totaled $21.9 billion and accounted for 61% of all exports from Ukraine. At the same time, the EU's share of total agricultural products from Ukraine in 2023 reached 56.6%, or $12.4 billion. Hundreds of angry farmers took to the streets in Bulgaria's capital, Sofia, today to complain of what they called the total failure of the government to meet the mounting challenges of the agricultural sector. They called on the agriculture minister to step down for not keeping his promises to ease the administrative burden on the farming sector, to seek state compensation for high costs and falling incomes. Like their colleagues elsewhere in Europe, Bulgarian farmers are frustrated with domineering European Union regulations, the hardship stemming from the surge in fertilizer and energy costs because of Russia's war in Ukraine, 
the increasing imports of farm products that are flooding local markets, and the undercutting of prices. Meanwhile, the Grain Producers Association announced that its members might join the protests tomorrow by blocking main roads with their farming vehicles. More ships carrying grain were diverted from the Suez Canal to routes around the Cape of Good Hope last week as attacks on shipping in the Red Sea continued. About 7 million metric tons per month of grain cargoes usually transit the Suez Canal into the Red, but that has dropped significantly as Iran-backed Houthi militants have continued attacks on shipping despite U.S.-led airstrikes on Houthi positions in Yemen. Many bulk carriers are still transporting grain through the region, however. Commodity traders said it has become more difficult, but not impossible, to book ships for Red Sea sailings. One German shipping analyst said that some ship owners already operating in war-torn Ukraine are more willing to take the risk of traversing the Red Sea. And Saskag Today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose Saskag Today. And yes, it is free. And that's the Ag Review portion of our program. Please stay tuned. Saskang Today will return right after this. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to Saskag Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's overcast and plus one degree in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. For many years, farmers and farm organizations have lobbied for a system that would reward producers for the sequestration of carbon in the soil. Dr. Lenore Newman from the University of the Fraser Valley in B.C. believes that time is coming as methods are developed for easily and accurately measuring carbon sequestration. Kevin Hirsch from SaskGangToday.com spoke to Lenore Newman following her presentation at last week's Crossroads Crop Conference in Calgary. Prairie farmers are already sequestering a lot of carbon in their practice already. We just can't measure it right yet. So it doesn't show up on the carbon books uh, the way, say, growing trees does. But even there, there's a lot of challenge. And so once we're able to accurately measure how much carbon is going into the soil, we can fine-tune that, we can subsidize techniques that are putting more carbon in the soil, and more importantly, we can start paying farmers for being one of the only industries on earth that can actually be carbon positive where it's putting carbon back in the ground. So are we making progress? 
progress in being able to accurately measure? We're getting closer, but it is a really hard challenge. Now, of course, we can measure carbon in the ground, but you got to dig a hole, and that's not practical. And so we're looking at drone applications, satellite applications, using commuter com computer models to estimate. Um, there's a lot of companies trying to crack this holy grail of measurement and verification. Hopefully, we'll get there very soon in the next few years. But uh, it's a breakthrough technology, and until it's there, even if we want a carbon market, it doesn't make much sense until you can actually put a number on what's happening. But producers will also have to fight for their share of, of this. So there'll be others that want to monetize it. Yes, exactly. And what we'll see is... Um, people will be fighting over that new commodity, the carbon coin, which will probably be traded on, like any commodity on a commodities exchange and will have a fluctuating value, but certainly grocers are going to try and grab a piece and processors and shippers. Everyone's going to be trying to grab a little piece of that carbon coin, but at the end of the day, the person making those coins is the producer. So they have to lobby hard to take the biggest slice. Do you think it will be a significant amount of monetary reward if we measure and verify properly? I think for Canada, yes, because we're one of the only countries with significant large-scale production in terms of acreage and the potential to grow that a little bit. I think we're a real winner and what we'll see is we'll see big cities, big industries paying for those coins, competing. The value will go up if there's more competition. I think there is a real big win, especially for anyone doing field crops. Lenore Newman is the director of the Food and Agriculture Institute at the University of the Fraser Valley in BC. She researches agricultural land use policy, ag technologies, and bioengineering in the food system. For April, our trading at 182.40, down 135. June live cattle trading at 180.30, down 147. March feeder cattle trading at 242.50, down 230. April feeder cattle trading at 247.90, also down 230. April lean hogs trading at 82.75, down 107. May lean hogs trading at 87.40, down 112. And that's the livestock market conditions. The price of canola continued to decline last week. That was the first topic of discussion on Friday's SaskAgToday.com roundtable with Chief Agricultural Editor Kevin Hirsch. Yeah, now and then it's seen brief partial recoveries, but it's really been on a downhill slope ever since, uh, ever since harvest. If memory serves, I could have sold canola at harvest uh, well above $17 a bushel, and now it's it's scarcely above $13 a bushel. I remember when it was about 15 or 16, there was analysts saying, "Oh, don't don't sell at this price; it's going to get better." Well, it's it's got progressively worse. Uh, export demand is really soft. China isn't buying nearly as much canola as they were. The world supply and demand situation, many other commodities also dropping. So. 
there's a lot of unpriced, unsold canola in Canada. Uh, the the loss, uh, of course, it isn't a loss, I guess, till you sell it. But sometime you're going to have to sell it. The loss if you were to sell now for many producers, you would add up to billions of dollars in Western Canada. He notes Bill C-234, the private member's bill that would remove the carbon tax from propane and natural gas used for heating and cooling barns and greenhouses and drying grain, is back before the House of Commons again after being returned from the Senate last month with amendments. Yeah, it's, it is an interesting one to watch. And segueing to a, another topic that, you know, where things actually have worked in the House of Commons, I was at the Crossroads Crop Conference in Calgary this week, and one of the speakers was Carlo Dade of the Canada West Foundation. And I, I knew this bill was proceeding through the House of Commons, uh, but Canada West Foundation had helped it along. It was called, it was all to do with machine and equipment interoperability. In other words, the one that comes to mind, although it could affect many short-line equipment manufacturers, is Macdon Industries in Winnipeg and Honeybee Manufacturing in Frontier, Saskatchewan, both of which build headers for combines and swathers. Well, one one uh, combine company, Maidenline Combine Company, their newest combine, uh, it has digital locks. You can't put a short line uh, uh, equipment header on there. Actually, this is something where the system actually worked and all of the parties agreed to the, the, the private members bill to push this forward, say, no, that's wrong. There should be allowances made so that short line equipment can fit on mainline equipment uh, and, and operate properly. No digital lock, no, excuse me, no digital locks. And this actually passed the House of Commons is in third reading in the Senate. And because it hasn't been controversial, we haven't actually heard very much about it, but a, a very interesting piece of legislation and, and proof that maybe uh, what happens in Ottawa is, is not all the fighting that we typically talk about. Hirsch notes the United States has a similar law already in place. Yes, they, they seem to have solved this uh, copyright issue uh, ahead of us, but it, it received unanimous uh, support in the, in the House of Commons before moving on to the Senate. And Carlo Dade's point was that, you know, we should keep nudging this along and, and producers should be aware of it when they talk to their MPs, and whether they're in opposition or in government, to, to keep this nudged along so it, it, it gets passed in a timely fashion and becomes law. Another speaker at the Crossroads Crop Conference in Calgary was Drew Lerner of World Weather, Inc., Hirsch says Lerner believes 2024 shouldn't be a drought year. That's uh, that's Drew's hope. And when he's looking for uh, comparable years based on all the patterns we've seen, one of his choices was 1988, which would be a, a complete disaster. That was a terrible drought year in Saskatchewan. But he's, he's looked at it uh, from numerous different ways, uh, charts and graphs and maps, so he's, he's calling, his prediction for the spring is that it's going to continue to be drier in, than normal in much of Alberta and some of western Saskatchewan. A uh, little bit of a wet pattern in the spring in southern Manitoba. By summer, he's calling for a lot of areas to be near normal precipitation. Uh, the dryness will actually start happening in southern Manitoba and some of southeast Saskatchewan, whereas there will be a, a much wetter than normal clump in about between North Battleford and Edmonton. 
Now, all of these are, are very preliminary, but he does have hope that we might not be facing, especially due, the, due through the summer period, the major uh, water shortfall that we've seen uh, in, in 2023 and before that in 2021. Hirsch says Lerner is leaning toward a year like 2006. Yeah, that and jet stream analysis and how the weather looks. So I, I'd sure take that over a, over a 1988 and one thing I found very interesting is we talk about how the, the big spike in temperature that we saw worldwide in 2023, and a lot of people saying, oh, we'll see what climate change and carbon dioxide is doing to us. And he said it's, it's really the huge volcanic eruption that occurred in the middle of the Pacific back in January of 2022, the largest in recent history, bigger than Mount Pinatubo and, and bigger than Mount St. Helens but it was underwater and put a vast amount of water vapor into the atmosphere. Didn't receive a lot of attention, but he says uh, that's his belief as to why 2023 was such a huge spike in temperatures when you graph it on a worldwide basis. He also touched on the 2023 Saskatchewan Pea Leaf Weevil Survey, which showed that the northern and eastern parts of the province had the worst infestations. You know, sometimes when you get up into those more uh, central and northern grain belt areas, people sometimes shy away from peas because you can have other disease issues in them. So I'd have to uh, have a map of that. If you ever look at the uh, the uh, the special crops publication put out here by SaskAg, you can take whether it's lentils or peas or chickpeas or mustard and see the distribution across the province. But uh, there's probably lots of peas there, but I don't think it would actually be the heaviest concentration. But certainly a pea leaf weevil is something that they should be looking out for based on that map. Hirsch then commented on the deadline extension and coverage expansion to the Canada-Saskatchewan feed program. Here's my theory about this, and, and Alberta did something very similar, extended the area, extended the deadline. I think because there's requirements to show that you've incurred extra costs and there's extra paperwork involved, I don't think they're getting the number of applications or committing nearly as much money as they thought. And that's why I think they keep expanding the area and expanding the deadlines is that they, they're not going to reach their, their spending limits. So, now that's a hunch on my part. I haven't heard that officially, but that would be my guess. And he talked about the Do More Ag Foundation grant program to help out farmers with their mental health. I think farmers are in, in many ways where, yes, it's a stressful industry, but we certainly have some some organizations like Do More Ag and uh, a lot of others that, it's, that, that sponsor organizations such as that. You know, there is a, a farm stress line that producers can call if they're, they're feeling they're in, in difficulty and get, get counseling. So in many respects, I think uh, the agriculture sector is, is lucky that uh, organizations and people have realized there's a need and, and there are resources available. Kevin Hirsch is the chief agricultural editor for saskangtoday.com. Please stay tuned. Your Commodities Update is coming up next. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board this hour. March canola trading at 5.9740, up $5.30. May canola trading at 6.0260, up $4 per metric ton. March Minneapolis wheat 
trading at 690 and 3 quarters, down 9 cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 614 per bushel, down 11 cents. March Chicago wheat trading at 588 and a half, down 11 and a quarter cents. March corn trading at 443 and a half, up three quarters of a cent. March soybeans trading at 1194 and three quarters, up six and a quarter cents. March oats trading at 368 per bushel, down three and three quarters of a cent. And that's the commodities update. Plant-based products are going to increasingly take the place of animal protein in world markets. That's the view of Dr. Lenore Newman from the University of the Fraser Valley in BC. This will include precision fermentation of plant protein. SaskGankToday.com's Kevin Hirsch spoke with Lenore Newman at the recent Crossroads Crop Conference in Calgary. Because global demand for animal products is rising so quickly, we'll kind of see a few new entrants into what I call the uh, protein portfolio. Now on Earth, right now, about half of protein already comes from plants, mostly from grains and pulses of course, and um, we've seen new entrants um, growing more pea protein, oat proteins, uh, but what we're seeing is these new animal analogs through precision fermentation where you're literally brewing milk like beer or cell culture where you're literally growing animal cells in bulk in solution and now that latter one it's a long way off I don't think we're going to see that in stores for you know maybe another 10 years except in small quantities um, but precision fermentation of dairy protein it, it could scale very quickly and I mean I still see that as a win for Canada because it's a good technology that we can perfect. It takes a lot of electricity and we have green electricity in a quantity most people don't and the feedstock is starch which we can produce in bulk and so it's a bit of a win. And now I often talk about it that it's a bit like brewing beer but it also looks a bit like fractional distillation and we're good at that kind of technology. So I could imagine imagine that on the prairies there might be a billion dollar facility that's a lot of stainless steel taking starch waste turning it into protein selling it overseas and yeah there's a lot of questions raised about that but that one I think might happen quick more quickly than we think partly because of the rising demand for protein products um, particularly overseas but plant-based protein products will have to be able to compete uh, with animal protein on a cost basis and you, you see that coming yeah exactly and I think you'll see so you see three three competitors you'll see plant-based you'll see traditional animal based and you'll see animal an analogs that are made using these high technology pathways and the latter are still pretty expensive um, we'll probably see more plant-based protein we already see this competition emerging in the milk industry um, where 
about 25% of the market is already plant-based milks, partly because a lot of people do have trouble digesting milk, especially in other parts of the world. So we see how these coexist. I think we'll see it very similar. Now you might ask me, well, why doesn't everyone just switch to plant-based proteins? I think that's highly unlikely because animal proteins, we like them. They're complicated. They have interesting flavor profiles. They're deeply culturally connected. So plant-based will take you so far, but then people still want a different level of product that either an animal or an animal analog can give you. Price will be, of course, the thing that determines what that share is. And we're, it'll be a ways before we see um, those technologies get lower. What gets really interesting is because they're technologies, they scale, we could literally get to a point where brewing milk like beer is at a cheaper price point than the animal product. Then it gets really interesting. And we have to ask some very challenging questions about what that means. Especially in a country with a supply managed system. Exactly, exactly. And it's why some of these companies are looking to Canada, we're used to paying more. Whereas in the US, they're competing head to head with a much cheaper product. And if they can make it work in the US, they'll uh, do very well here. Exactly, because the profit margin is quite a bit larger. Lenore Newman is the director of the Food and Agriculture Institute at the University of the Fraser Valley in BC. She researches agricultural land use policy, ag technologies, and bioengineering in the food system. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today will return right after these messages. Farm Bulletin Board. SAS Canola will be hosting three top-notch extension meetings in northwestern Saskatchewan this week. Tomorrow in Spiritwood, Wednesday in St. Walburg, and Thursday at Unity. Kaylee Kondrachuk is SAS Canola's agronomy extension specialist. Not all producers are able to get to the larger centers for meetings, so we want to come out to them. So that's why we are coming out to some smaller locations in the Northwest this year. These meetings are planned in conjunction with Sask Barley and Sask Flax to bring agronomy and policy information right to farmers. Seven speakers are on the program agenda, which runs from 9.30 until 3.30. After an introduction from a Sask Canola director, Kaylee herself will be the first at the podium. We have a new on-farm research trials program called Top-Notch Farming Trials. This will be the first year of results that we've got for our research program, and I'll be delivering that information to the growers in those areas. And this information is all fairly new. It hasn't been heard by too many producers, just the cooperators for the program. So farmers in the Northwest will be some of the first to hear this results. Another speaker is Stan Jeeves, who farms at Wolseley. He will speak about risk management tools for grain marketing. Then there will be updates on local crop research in each of the three locations. In each of the locations, we will be talking about some of the adopt research going on at some of the agar arm sites in the province. The easiest way to register is online at sascanola.com. <laughs> 